Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans each week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. down damn it <laughs> hello everyone eric watson here freelance writer player games runner of words recorder of videos and tabletop role-playing aficionados opening his intro spiel open open there we go welcome to my weekly behind the scenes dm only live stream crafting icewind down which i build right and prepare for our next session of rhyme of the frost maiden you are playing characters Valravan, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed. Turn back now. This video is not meant for you, but for the rest of you. Welcome. We stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday evening. You can, read, you can watch all of our D&D live series as well as reviews and Let's Plays on my YouTube page and read weekly session recaps at RogueWatson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at RogueWatson and join our official Discord server. Invite link in the description below. If you would like to support the channel, please check out Patreon.com slash Rogue Watson. It has been a week. My goodness. I get my opening together. I can't. You'd think I'd be able to say it seamlessly every time now. It would be wrong. Uh, Alright, so we're going to talk more about a beautiful mind. Hello, Pegleg, Garchomp, Farty, Mad Mage, and Jerome. Good to see you all in the chat. Um, so yeah, we made it to... Targos, we made it to Tourmaline, we did the wolf encounter, all of that went off pretty much as I expected. Um, not going to talk too much about the previous session, since that's kind of what chat was for. Instead, we are going to look at finishing out the Beautiful Mind quest, which I think, unless the players take their real sweet time, I think we could finish it next uh, tomorrow. Boy, it's really bright in here. Not literally in my room, but in the game. Why is that so lit up? That's weird. Oh, is this the lighting that I made right here? Is that making so much light? It is bright light, five feet. Eh, it shouldn't be that much light. Lord, just glowing. Um, so they triggered some traps, which was pretty funny. We had Thimbleweed run up and fall in the pit and did a ton of damage, which... That's gonna happen sometimes. All right, now it is bright in this room. I'm gonna get curtains. Um, in order to inspect the rat up here, I gingerly let uh, Edmund explore the gems and trigger that poison cloud, which he made the save and nobody else was caught in it, so that one wasn't too big of a deal. There's one more trap here. They haven't gone over to the uh, water area which is the, I think I was going to do the green slime, which just kind of drips acid down. Um, but I think I would treat it as, because the weird thing is, it, it does damage, and if you don't scrape it off, it keeps doing damage. But if you're not in combat, then you could just say, well, I scrape it off or wash it off quickly, and I'm not going to, you know, keep track of, like, rounds and put people in combat or anything. So it would probably just be like a one-time damage -y thing. You just make a deck save to avoid it. Uh, in order to cross underneath it. But we're fixing to have a combat encounter with the rats that the party has scoped out. This is, again, similar to the wolves, not meant to be a very challenging fight, just something that could hopefully, you know, soften them up a little bit. Which, the wolves honestly worked out even better than I expected because I rolled really well in initiative and went before them. 
I was able to get a full rank, even though the, the Frost Breath attack, I had the, the Frost Finger spell modified. On one of the wolves did embarrassingly low damage and was not scary at all. The actual wolf bites, because of the pack tactics, uh, did do pretty well. And the, the players did use some resources. I know Edmund used a spell, uh, and I believe somebody else used something. Maybe uh, Valravin, I think. Valravin? <laughs> Shit. Uh, I believe also used a spell like Dissonant Whispers or something. So They've expended some resources. They short-rested. Um, and they've taken, at least Thimbleweed took a bunch of damage from the trap. So I'm feeling pretty good about wearing these players down so far in this dungeon. I mean, it's pretty tough at level 2. I don't really want to throw anything at them. It's just going to murder them outright. Because that just doesn't seem enjoyable at all to kill them in some random-ass, inconsequential dungeon. But you want to make it challenging. And that's kind of the goal of how I DM. Which is, keep the players at that fun, tense level of, oh man, this is dangerous and memorable. But we're also like not frustrated by it necessarily that doesn't mean i can't you know kill them later down the line during some cool epic moments or boss fights but i have no desire to kill them in really dumb ways here although we'll see what the grail fight does because the grail as written can grab people and then hover over this fucking shaft to the underdark and just drop them which uh that could be really interesting that'd be an interesting case of like the player character disappears, and maybe, like, down the line they can reappear. Uh, you know, somehow they've survived, but I don't even know how I would work that out. But the Grell should be a fun creature to use, so I'd be willing to hear some advice on how to run the Grell itself. Um, the rats, obviously, are not intelligent. It's just going to be a pretty simple fight. I believe Frey was jumping in here to attack. Um, the others are going to have to kind of scramble in. Which I appreciate that she's extremely foolhardy and just rushing in and fighting. That's... Uh, enjoyable as a DM for sure. I do have a swarm of rats stat block, um, uh, a token just in case they are kicking these rats' ass, and I feel like I need to soften them up a little bit more. I could have included some other giant rats, but I figured it'd be, it'd be more thematic to have, you know, the rats squeak or something, and they come pouring out of little crevices and holes, uh, and kind of form a swarm stat block. And then maybe when things go sour, you can even have the, the swarm then disperse. So it really is kind of a DM tool. And swarms are deceptively powerful. I do want to make sure I'm not going to overuse them too much because they've got damage resistance. They only take half damage. And obviously at this level, the players don't have any magic weapons, um, which is their main. And they have obviously a lot more hit points than a normal even a giant rat would. Now, their actual chance to hit sucks. I don't know if this is just... Oops, it says beaks. I meant to do... Obviously, I copied this from the... Uh, from the Swarm of Ravens, I think, because Swarm of Rats is not in Rhyme Frost main, apparently. Um, they don't do a whole lot of damage, so it's mainly just there to kind of soak up some attacks um, and just kind of provide another you know unit on the battlefield. So we'll see if I even need to use it. Um, if the fight's going fine and it's taking a good amount of time, then I probably won't... But, um, you know, it's it's just something in my back pocket. That's something that's nice to have in a lot of fights is just options ready to go in case you want to use them. Does the module state where the Shaft of the Underdark leads or does it say they die and that's it? It doesn't say they... Well, it does say they die, actually. Um, it says... Well, first of all, I'm also changing what the walkway is. I need to scroll down. Y'all can't see it. Um... This walkway is supposed to be currently under construction by the Koba, or not under construction, um, under, what's the opposite of construction? Under sabotage <laughs> by the Kobolds. Because um, again, it's a low-level dungeon, you're supposed to play it a little more goofy. Obviously, I've ratcheted up the difficulty a bit. Um, the players are solidly level 2, and I had a bunch of Kobold traps in place up here. Uh, I've obviously multiplied the giant rats that are normally in M3. I've put them here so the players can't miss them. Uh, you know, so basically I'm, I'm increasing the difficulty quite a bit because I've just learned that 9 times out of 10, players are going to stomp everything rules as written in 5e. Like, it's just... And, and I like having empowered players. Like, don't get me wrong. I like running that style of game. I don't, I don't want to run a Dark Souls or Roguelike or something like that. I, I want to have, you know, a game where my players succeed and feel triumphant and, you know, generally have a good time being super-powered badasses. But at the same time... A lot of the threats as written are just pushovers, so I've increased quite a bit, and I've made it so this walkway is already, has the sabotage has been completed, similar to how the traps have been completed, 
which means once the players reach, um, can't really hardly see these GM layer red squares I've got on here, uh, the walkway will collapse, and then they will, but the cool thing is here, they don't fall into the Underdark. If you see what level three looks like, they'll actually fall down to uh, level three. So they will still take a 30-foot drop onto the lower walkway. It'll be scary at first because they'll think it's just falling down a pit. Um, but what it's going to do is be a fun way to split the party, potentially. Otherwise, they can just you know rescue them immediately or, or come up with some means. Um, and then when they fall, they can realize that they fell... Um, and actually, no, level 2 doesn't even have much in the way of walkway. It's got one single area to go. It's mainly level 3 that's got all this kind of opening back up into it. But it, it should be nicely confusing for the PCs when they realize what the best case scenario is. Somebody falls down to level 3. They say, okay, we'll, come, we'll take this bucket that's right here at uh, M6. We'll lower it down and come get you. And then they realize, oh shit, we lowered down into a different level. We lowered down to level 2, and you fell 30 feet down to level 3. That would be a really fun way to split the party. But I'm including the fact that it's already uh, sabotaged. But as written in the book, uh, it does say that if they fall... It says any medium or creature... Oh, it, it, it mentions this for the waterfall, by the way, which is the, the water you see right here. If they happen to enter the water, which they haven't even gone in this room... Um... If they wade into the fissure or start their turn there, must exceed on DC 10 deck saving throw or be swept away by the current and dropped into the shaft. I've just got the book open. Uh, that plunges away by the current and dropped into the shaft that plunges thousands of feet into the Underdark. Such a fall is fatal. So it just mentions it drops thousands of feet into the Underdark. It's just a straight-up shaft down there. Um, but, you know, as a DM, I could rule that whatever happens, you fell on a flying growl or something. <laughs> it's just... You could technically have a player survive if you wanted to, or you could have them, you know, ride out of the campaign, but then they come back later as this, like, hardened badass. Um, but the question is, they would be, like, gone from the campaign if they actually did fall. So you got to be really leery about that. Or have somebody, you know, of course, be able to grab onto the end and, and turn into this big um, scenario. But at this level, you know, players don't have a whole lot of tricky utility spell resources to kind of solve these problems. It's more about this scary situation. Um, in terms of being shoved off and things. But uh, it, it it could be dangerous with the Grell, because the Grell is not above flying and using its tentacles. I mean, a Grells are, I believe, intelligent enemies. Do I have the window open somewhere? I must have it open. I just don't see it. Grell, where did you go? Check out Doppel Rats from Tomb of Foes. That's fun to throw at players. I haven't looked at the Doppel Rats. You make a good point. And I do have the Tomb of Foes. In, is that instead of Giant Rats? I'll actually get that book out in a second. Any self-respecting DM, I do own Tomb of Beasts. Although, as we've mentioned, the Tomb of Beasts goes too far in the other direction when it comes to how monsters are balanced mainly by giving them too many hit points so which doesn't necessarily make a a enemy more enjoyable or interesting to fight it doesn't mean it gets gets to last or you know longer but doppel rats they only do one piercing damage hit points 22 armor class 13 that's pretty significant for a fucking rat still tiny clones itself each round for four rounds, number of live double rats quadruples, but never exceeds 20. Each double rat appears in the same space as any other rat. I mean, yeah, it's kind of the same thing as a swarm. It's just with they clone themselves. That'd be interesting if, if there was some kind of a uh, like arcane malfunction or something going on in this dungeon that would lead to that. But the, the only thing that's really um, uh, like that in here is at M12, which is the Crystal Skull, I believe. So not to get too far ahead, but we've got M... Let's see, where are we? So M5, again, is, is going to be already triggered to collapse. 
Um, it's going to be a DC 13%. I'm just using 13 because that's what it says for to use for Cobalt Inventors. I'm like, that's a fair thing for just the DC for this dungeon. Uh, perception or investigation to notice the wooden walkway has been sabotaged in one of the five-foot squares. So it requires somebody to come out to the walkway and then announce the fact that, like, hey, we want to inspect this walkway um, to see if there's any, you know, damage or anything like that. And I would say, okay, roll perception or investigation. And then if they roll it, they will notice that one of them um, does have some structural... Uh, it looks like it has been um, carefully sabotaged to where if too much weight was put on it, it would collapse. Now, that means I would probably allow Thimbleweed and Frey to walk, even if they don't because the idea would be the kobolds could still walk across it, but anybody heavier than them would trigger it. And I've got two small party members, so I need to pay attention and and not trigger it when the those two cross, but when the other three cross, then it would trigger if they haven't spotted it yet. And obviously, if they have spotted it, it's a simple method of just kind of leaping over the walkway. Um, I don't even think you have to roll a check for that, because I think anybody with a strength of at least... Um, what, five can technically go five feet across, so that's not really a anything to roll for. It's more of a just make sure that you, you know, notice this trap here, which is funny that once I started springing traps, I still haven't really been wary about checking for traps. You'd think they would be after the first trap hit them. Um, after the giant rat fight, uh, which again, I'm not, you know, they're probably not going to do much, but if I can do a little bit of damage and soften them up, that would be handy. Um, they have a plus four to hit, four damage. They do have pack tactics, so the only way is if Frey jumps in here. Um, the interesting thing is, is she could expend her other use of rage, because I believe she raged against the wolves. Wol wolves? Why did I say wolves? The wolves. Um, so, uh, I believe, and that only comes back in a long rest, so that would mean she wouldn't have the rage for the rest of the dungeon, I think. So again, that's fights are just meant to you know have them expend resources, and resources include hit points or spell slots or you know wild shapes or rages or whatever else players can do. Bardic inspiration, all that stuff. That's just that's the idea. Uh, so that one will collapse, or they could notice it. Um, the bucket lift uh, is not like a tomb of horrors thing where it's like only one person has to stay behind and and work the thing to get everybody else moving. Um, instead, you can either do it from the bucket or from a pulley outside of the bucket and lower either two small PCs or one medium PC, and it takes them down to level two. So again, if this collapses, it takes them down to level three, which is like this square right here, or maybe this square, whatever, um, which is a 30-foot drop. And I would allow a deck save for half damage, but nothing that would prevent them from falling because I want them to fall if they trigger the trap. Um... So it would be a 3d6 bludgeoning damage, which can potentially be pretty damn painful for level 2 players. Uh, you could, I mean, frighteningly, in fact, if somebody ends up going down from that fall, I wonder if I should put everybody in combat initiative, um, because then that player would have to roll death saves until somebody gets to them. Might be worth doing. Ratchet up the tension of it. Uh, in case somebody does fall, obviously I'm going to have to prep this entire rest of the dungeon here because it, it really opens up after the initial linearity, uh, which is M12 is the crystal skull, I believe. Fossilized skull and psi crystal. Which I could pull it up here so you all can see as well. Beautiful mind. Five years developed party is now much more of an advantage. Some modules, though, they really crank through really hard. Hard early on to send into Avernus. Interesting. I haven't really necessarily. Oh, I did. Yeah, that's the one with the big, like, tavern brawl fight, isn't it? Some of those. I mean, the, the problem is level one is just kind of nuts anyway. I mean, if you think about if the players technically fight Sephic in this campaign early on, like, that's a huge, weird difficulty spike that few parties are going to survive. But yeah, that's something that, that's the biggest thing that probably comes with experience for running D&D for years, is you get a feel for the difficulty curve of each level, of, you know, the the the, mon the monumental difference between level 4 PCs, level 5 PCs, for example, reaching those tiers, um, the action economy, in terms of how many monsters you need to use, even if you've got powerful monsters, if you only have one of them, it's almost always going to be disappointing when you've got five freaking players, especially. 
which in this case, the Grell is still only one Grell. I really don't want to multiply that Grell because they're pretty strong. But the trick to using a Grell is that it should be a sneaky, intelligent hunter. Uh, let's see, so M12. A fossilized skull par partially juts out of the east wall of a small cave. Skull is larger than normal eye sockets, a curious ridge between the eyes. Nothing that would pass for a nose and four small holes where one would expect to see teeth. It's supposed to be a Mind Flare skull. Uh, oh, it even says that, yeah. Mind Flare came up from the Underdark thousands of years ago. Any character examines the skull, succeeds on an Arcana check, concludes that it came from a Mind Flare. Any attempt to pry the skull from the stone causes it to shatter and fall away, revealing a crystal shard where the Illithid's brain would have been. I would probably tease the fact that there's actually a crystal in the skull. Uh, like it, it, like it's a gem, so the players want to actually grab it, because I want my players to grab it. Um, and it is a Psy Crystal. Character who attunes to the Psy Crystal gains a form of indefinite madness. Determine the result secretly, then convey this information only to the players, only to the character's player. Although madness lasts, the character can hear a repeating telepathic distress signal put out by an illithid ship that, ship that crashed in the mountains and track the signal to its source. See, it descendant. So, the cool thing is, this is a great way to introduce one of the Chapter 2 uh, side quests, which is the it descendant quest, which would have, obviously, very... Uh, God, I'm just having a super brain fart. Um, it would be perfect to use <laughs> for uh, Celeste's personal story arc because she took the abducted which means she was abducted by those aliens so the idea is she was abducted by those aliens at some point and then that ship crashed for some reason and she was able to escape in that resulting crash um this mind flayer skull doesn't have anything to do with that it just happens to be a a psi crystal that's in that whatever it says has been formed from this the psychic trauma the mind flare endured when it died called the crystal form its mind okay uh but more importantly it will lead the players to that quest and then that is like a fuel source that i believe that the gnome ceramorphs can use to jumpstart their ship so i would really 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 like the players to freaking find this thing and one way i can do that is by having it call to Celeste specifically. So I will probably be whispering to her once they make it to the Underdark Shaft that she starts feeling this like telepathic tug like right beneath her. And I will slowly try and guide her to this if the players don't stumble on it immediately by triggering that trap. Uh, and I would probably make this have some kind of... I, I probably would turn this into a magic item as well. Um... Maybe the idea being, if anybody other than Celeste tries to attune to it, um, then it's a bad thing for them, which I could keep the madness thing. But if it's for her, then maybe I can expand on her psychic powers or, you know, do something there. I haven't really decided, but... Oh, it does have properties. Let's see. Crystal glows in the purplish inner light when you are attuned to it. The higher your intelligence, the greater the light's intensity, and the greater the range of the telepathy. Crystal grants you telepathy for the longer you remain attuned to it. Well, that that's fine, then. You can use telepathy. Telepathy is a magical ability that allows to communicate mentally with another creature with a specified range. Creature without telepathy can receive and respond telepathic messages, can't initiate or intimidate. Okay, so getting just straight up telepathy is very useful. There you go. But I think I would allow that only if Celeste did it. And if anybody else did it, then it would give them, you know, probably forms of madness. Uh, because she was abducted by aliens and therefore she's got, you know, the the modifications or whatever, whatever happened. You know, we haven't determined all that yet. Uh, that would allow her to attune to this uh, Psy Crystal. So a cool magic item specifically for one player because that player happened to choose that secret and is involved directly in uh, the It Ascendant storyline, which the question then becomes, do I literally put that on the map for them? Like a video game where it's like, hey, go to this, you know, square or whatever. Or do I just place it in my proverbial plot back pocket and say, uh, you know, 
it's this is what it does for now and then maybe as the players get further east or maybe go to south east i guess i could put it in it wherever i want but if i'm putting it still in the southeast corner ish uh then maybe do more of a maybe i could do it like a generic tugging like you feel it you feel that tugging again and this time in this you know but you feel it far in the distance you know somehow tease the players like you don't know exactly where this quest is but there is somewhere it's telling you to go is probably how i would work that because they don't need to go to Indescendant right away. Um, but anywhere within, you know, if we're dividing the story up between three acts, anywhere between acts one and two would be fine. Although if they do it in act one, maybe they could use the Indescendant to uh, fight the Shardland Dragon or something. Or use it as a fast travel airship, or you know, depending on how things go down there. Indescendant is great. I had fun running up my players through that quest. Yeah, so I'm curious if, if those of you ran Indescendant, if you ran it as a straight up kind of dungeon fight, just a traditional like, hey, here's the gnome squidlings, here's the flesh golem, uh, the ceremony show up, show, show up, and you all fight. Or do you run it as like a big social encounter? Because I'm tempted to rework that whole thing into more of a social encounter, which I think would be the funny twist. Like, you get to this scary, you know, crashed alien ship, and you're expecting just horrifying nastiness, and all of a sudden these two friendly, you know, little gnome buddies come out, and they're like this hilarious married couple of an odd couple that happen to be, you know, loose morals when it comes to kidnapping people and experimenting on them, but I just think that'd be a pretty funny uh, twist. And then, of course, throw a few, you know, there could be some combat fights, mainly because other creatures they've experimented on have gotten loose, which is written in the book. I believe there's at least one of them is the creature that I'm never quite sure how to pronounce, either boulet or bullet or something, um, is, like, loose around and maybe has some, you know, and you could have fun with that. You could have a bunch of these random-ass creatures that are kind of loose in that area that escaped from a crash. And, and including other sentient creatures like Celeste maybe escaped and have psychic abilities, too. That could be interesting. That one, So, anyway, that's all it is, and that's, that's pretty far in the future. But I very much want them to find this psychic crystal. So if they don't stumble upon it, then uh, Celeste will certainly be pulled in that direction. Um, M13 is empty, it looks like. It's just another gem deposit where they've been mining out uh, gems. You can remove an intact geode worth 10 GP. Up to 50 intact geodes can be acquired in this way. So you could spend 50 hours <laughs> in this mine if you wanted to. That's what this campaign has turned into. If there are grells on the way. I seriously would drop the, sw oh, drop the swarm of rats too hard. Damages and swarms is valid even for magic weapons. Oh, jeez. Yeah, you're right. It didn't say non-magical, does it? Um, yeah, that, it's just there. Um, and it's not even meant to be... Um, it's just meant to be like, if, if, for example, if, if the players just eliminate so many rats at the beginning, and then I can have a swarm show up, or maybe two swarms, just do some damage, and if enough of the rats start going down or getting to half health, I can have the swarms disperse and disappear. Um, so I'll kind of play it by ear, but that's kind of just a back pocket thing. Um, and there's only one Grell that's supposed to be a kind of a boss fight in here. Is the idea. So yeah, 13 is, there's nothing in here. Um, they can cross here, which is this kind of rope. Don't know if there's... Okay, bucket shuttle. Uh, the rope and pulley mechanism is used to transport miners on or between the two platforms. A crank mounted each platform allows the bucket to be shuttled from one side or the other. A person inside the bucket can forego the crank and just do the, you know, hand-over-hand -hand maneuver. The bucket is large enough to hold one medium creature or two small creatures. It takes one round for the bucket to cross the gap between the platforms. Uh, however, any damage done to the rope, dealing five acid fire or slashing damage, causes it to snap. If the rope is cut, the bucket and its contents fall down the shaft, likely gone forever. Although, this one does let you save. A character in the bucket, when the rope breaks, can grab one end of the severed rope with a successful DC 15 deck saving throw, thus averting certain death. <laughs> I'm glad that's in there. Um, that could be an interesting situation if the... Because right now, the kobolds would still view the players as hostile. There has not been, you know, a... Uh, social encounter yet, but I do want to open the players up to that possibility of having a social encounter. That's kind of what I teased... Um, but a lot of this depends on, you know, who strikes first, what happens first, and I'm just not going to know that information until we actually start playing. But as written, there are two kobolds on level two, kind of near the bucket lift uh, drop-off point, and then three kobolds in M11 here, which is on level three, pretty deep in 
to one corner. And the situation I'm creating, which I think is also in the book, is that a Grell has appeared and is hunting down these kobolds now. Uh, the kobolds came in, they, you know, ushered all the miners away because they wanted to just use this as a home because conditions have gotten really bad, you know, in the region. The twist here is that the, as I sigh heavily, the winged kobold leader is possessed by a random-ass ghost named Janth Alawar, and thus the co and that and thus that kobold is way more uh, learned and eloquent than a kobold normally would be. He became possessed because he found a satchel because it says they gathered. Uh, I think they because they originally tried to find a home at Kelvin's Cairn, and then uh, he got possessed by the ghost, which led them to go more towards town, where the ghost would rather possess a, a person. Um. I am not sure if I want to use any of that. The ghost thing just seems kind of random. It doesn't really go anywhere. It adds another weird layer onto here. I mean, and then what are the rules if a ghost, if the ghost wants to possess a player? The problem is I just don't know enough about this ghost character, I guess. There's not, there's not really a good story here. The ghost... Let's see, let's read about it. In life, Janth Alor was a neutral human sage who devoted himself by cataloging the flora of Icewind Dale. That's not very exciting. He and his guide were killed and decapitated by a yeti in the foothills of Kelvin's Cairn two years ago, and his restless spirit has lingered. Kobolds happened upon the ghost while searching for shelter during a blizzard allowing to possess Trex, which is that winged kobold, without the other kobold's knowledge. The threadbare satchel carried by Trex once belonged to Janth. It contains clumps of moss, lichen, and shrubbery gathered from the foothills of Kelvin's Cairn in the surrounding tundra. Ghost is very possessive of the collection and won't give up the satchel without a fight. Janth's ghost can be laid to rest by destroying the satchel. Its last connection to the material plane, the ghost otherwise remains as close to the satchel as possible. The satchel is taken from Trex and discarded. The ghost forsakes its current host and remains near the satchel. I need to look up Ghost. Ghost! Starring Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore. Oh, my love. My darling, I've hungered for your touch. Good movie, Ghost. <laughs> Good Righteous Brothers song. I haven't seen that movie in forever. I think Whoopi Goldberg's in that movie. Isn't she the medium who, like, and she, like, uh, uh, Patrick Swayze possesses her at one point so he can talk to Demi Moore? <laughs> it's been a long time I've seen that movie, and I still remember so much of it. That fucking song's great. Um, so let's see, a ghost with possession. One humanoid the ghost can see within five feet of it must succeed on DC 13 Christmas saving throw or be possessed by the ghost. The ghost then disappears. Target is incapacitated and losing control of its body. The ghost now controls the body but can't deprive the target of awareness. The ghost can't be targeted except ones that turn undead. Retains its alignment, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma, and immunity to being charmed and frightened. It otherwise either possesses target statistics, but doesn't gain access to the target's knowledge, class features, or proficiencies. Possession lasts until the body drops to zero hit points. The ghost ends it as a bonus action, or the ghost is turned or forced out by an effect like to spell evil and good. So the fucking crazy thing is, possession is basically permanent, unless one of those things happens. <laughs> Now, I guess the easiest thing to do is if the ghost really won't leave, then the players could just hack away at that poor player character and dropping them to zero hit points. And then, assuming the ghost doesn't recharge its possession, you could just fight it as an enemy, which that could be the real fucking boss fight. Because now you're talking about damage resistances... Damage immunities, condition immunities, 45 hit points. It's got that horrifying visage where it can frighten people. Uh, it's fucking attack does 17 necrotic damage. Holy shit. You don't want to fight a ghost. You do not want to fight a ghost. There's only one 
Okay, I'm gonna catch him on the chat for a second. Suggestion, delay the way the crystal triggers it ascendant until you feel the party's ready to handle that quest. Straight up a TPK zone. Uh, I mean, could be if I ran it more combat-y, but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want them to go there just yet. There's only one side crystal need to power the ship. What happens if the party tries to commandeer the ship? Um, I mean, if they play their cards right, I would fucking let them, because how cool is that to be able to fly around in a nautiloid ship? <laughs> I mean, it, it does kind of cancel a lot of the encounters I would have. Um... And maybe it would be a question of, like, maybe you've got limited few. I, I don't know. You'd have to work around it. But honestly, I'm not opposed to giving him giving them that because I think that's just so such a neat fucking thing to do is to give them the Nautiloid. <laughs> what I wouldn't allow them to do is if they killed everybody and then took take command. That would not work for me. In that case, they would be able to power it up, maybe reach one destination, and then it would crash, and they would not be able to work it again. The only way they would be able to actually get control of the It Ascendant is if they role-played really well and worked with the gnome Ceramorphs and maybe got a second quest of, like, kidnapping people to further their experiment. Like, they would have to go along with that entire plot line and ally themselves, and then they would gain that. The other thing I would be willing to do is is gain, like, a, hey, if you need us, you can summon us kind of a thing. Kind of like what Chris did with the, with the giant turtle briefly in War of the Lost Plane, which is, uh, okay, I'm not going to let you fly around in this thing, but you can call us you know, on this magic cell phone or whatever, and, and we will come and, like, maybe pick you up and take you somewhere, you know, kind of a fancy Uber. Uh, or maybe if they if they run this before the Shardle and Dragon, they can call them up and have them try to fight the Shardle and Dragon or something. I don't know. It's all kind of cool, interesting things that could happen that I am willing to work with. Set up to be run socially, for sure. Most probably be like, oh, it's a scary ship, and it will go full aggro. Yeah, the problem is... It's runs, it's half social, but then the first thing they find are the little baby gnome ceramorphs guarded by a flesh golem. So obviously most people would turn that into a combat encounter, and if they do, then the basically the parents show up and you just murder their children, so then it's going to turn into a combat encounter. So as designed, it's not uh, designed to encourage players to turn into a social encounter. Which it, it, you'd have to, I think, redesign pieces of it to try and, and make that a possibility. Now, players could still fight if they wanted to, and they had people that were just like, no, we're not going to fucking work with Mind Flayers, then that's totally fair. Yeah, the Senate was socially cut the Mind Flayer at the top of the stairs. They only saw Shadow, scared the crap out of the group. That's, yeah, there you go. My players went social, no combat, just laughs, and they gained an ally. Let them keep the Goblin Wagon, drew the line at them to me to jack the spacecraft. Yeah, again, I think I just went over that, but I would, I would not allow them to literally kill everybody and just take it. Um, but I would be more than willing to let them, if they end up working with it as a social encounter, maybe not necessarily like, oh, you've got an airship now, you can go wherever you want, because that's a little bit early. Um, but either B, we'll, we'll get this fixed up and, and we'll come get you later, and then, then you can use it as an airship, or I say B, or C, <laughs> um, you know, you can call us and we'll come get you for a one-time, like, pickup. We get Cobalt and the Bard would hit it off. Probably. I had more kobolds possessed by ghosts, and it made the kobolds, they fought more creepy as they felt no pain and had no fear of death. Oh, wow. In this case, yeah, ghosts would wreck them. I just don't know if I even want to, because there's a lot going on in here already, with the kobolds already have a good motivation. Um, the ghost thing just seems like an extra layer about why is the, and, and maybe that could just be a cool, like, questionable thing, is like, why is this particular kobold, um, you know, so intelligent and also, he doesn't really care about other kobolds. Like, he, he's just the ghost. Um, I don't know if the ghost has his own... There's not enough motivation there. It's just, I don't know. I guess if I wanted to do this, I would need to make the ghost have um, a need. Like, it, it needs a purpose. It can't just be an, a, a ghost that's possessing people. It needs to be some kind of purpose... Um, and maybe that purpose is it wants to be in a human body, which might be good enough. And then, uh, it's been, you know, it's been in this cobalt body, but why didn't it just possess somebody when they got into, t maybe they've, maybe they've made it to the mine first, scared everybody away. And then before it could it concoct a plan to sneak into town and try to possess a human, this Grell showed up and started fighting them and now they're hiding. And now... And he's been leading the kobolds mainly just for protection. Like, because if he's the ghost, if he's just a human ghost, he doesn't give a shit about these kobolds. But he knows that he needs to surround himself with some, you know, protector allies. So he's, like, faking trying to 
care for them. What kind of quest would the ghosts? I mean, yeah, the idea is they the the the, the quest they would get would be, hey, please, can you kill this creature that's hunting us? Which, by the way, I kind of glossed over the fact that um, whenever the players defeat the giant rats, there actually is a cobalt body there, and they'll be able to roll a medicine check, and then depending on how they roll, they will learn different pieces of information that's supposed to tease the Grell, supposed to tease the fact that this cobalt was killed by a Grell. For whatever reason, the Grell didn't finish eating it or didn't throw it down the shaft. It maybe got into a fight with the cobalt or something, and that, or the cobalt, you know, limped away from it and died there in the in that area. Um, so whatever reason for that, but it, it that's teasing the fact that there's something down here that's killing them. Uh, which, if the players want to meta knowledge it, that's fine. But you know, that's it is what it is. Um, I don't think we've actually used Grells much in this campaign, though. They're they're kind of interesting enemies, and I believe we fought one in Prince of the Apocalypse, but it was such a small, inconsequential fight. Um, for some reason, not letting me click on the character sheet, which I'm looking, and I don't think I've got it open anywhere, so I'm not sure why it's not letting me look at the Grell. But uh, I so I, I'm thinking the players might not be able to meta-knowledge it too much, which is kind of nice. So I could keep the ghost thing. The only issue is, which I don't know the rules about this. So if he's currently possessing somebody, would he have to leave his body in order to possess somebody else? I just closed the ghost. I didn't mean to do that. It just says one humanoid the ghost can see within five feet of it. It doesn't say they have to be having left their previous form. It doesn't say they lose. Listen, last of the body. I mean, it doesn't say he has to end the current possession to possess somebody new. So the question is, in other words, does the party get a chance to realize, like, oh shit, there's a ghost has exited the kobold and is now trying to possess one of us? Uh, or is it the fact that whenever somebody gets close to this kobold and has a conversation, which... The interesting thing is that would be the main ghost's goal would be to not fight. Uh, but then why did they set the traps? Maybe the kobolds just set the traps because that's what they do. But I mean, the the winged the, again, the ghost would want people to come in here so we can possess it. Why didn't he possess one of the miners? It's just I have all these questions that kind of confuses the storyline about this ghost's um, motivations and what he's trying to do. I guess he wants to do it secretly. Which maybe doing that in the mine would be the way to do it. Maybe he was trying to find a, a, a lone miner but wasn't able to, to get it done. Maybe he realizes that um, the kobolds would turn on him. But I mean, let's face it, a ghost would just fucking wreck kobolds anyway. Even one ghost. Maybe he died in the mine while searching Flora. And then took a kobold when they came in. Yeah. Is that too much, though, going on? Because we've already got the monster hunting kobolds. There's already a... There's a ghost in here that possessed... A, just a ghost of a miner. In which case, what is the... What would be the miner's goal? Like, why didn't the miner... Why didn't the ghost of the miner just possess a... Uh, a human? Maybe they didn't... I don't know, it's just... Can't quite wrap my head around the ghost thing. If we don't use the ghost thing, we still have enough content here. Like, you know, it could just be there's a, a kobold who has led his fellow kobolds into the mine uh, for shelter. Um, doesn't, you know, necessarily doesn't want to hurt anybody. Just wants to kind of take this mine and, and use it as a as a home for his kobolds because they're used to, you know, warrens and caves and things. Um... And then before he can establish any kind of, you know, social encounters with the people of the town, which obviously people of the town wouldn't be too happy with what they've just done here, uh, a Grell comes up from the Underdark and just starts hunting down kobolds, which it would have hunted down miners. But kobolds are not much stronger. Yeah, we don't need the ghost as a combat encounter, but I feel like once the ghost starts trying to possess one of the player characters, I mean, if it fails, I guess it could just disappear. But that's... That seems kind of disappointing, right? 
<laughs> I guess this ghost is gone now. Um, although you can have it disappear, it, depending on when this happens, and honestly, I could, even if they go up to where the Grell is, I could have them not fight the Grell yet until after they've had this social encounter and met the ghost and done all that. And then if the ghost disappears, maybe even during the Grell fight, you can have the ghost show up and try to possess somebody again. Because I don't know if it would want to necessarily stick around to do its withering touch. It might do its horrifying visage. Um, but as an action, it can just enter the ethereal plane. So it can just fucking disappear. Yeah, the ghost could be... Probably would rather, it would prefer human. If it's a human ghost. Well, let me put it to you all first. Should I use this ghost or not? That's the big thing. Because if not, then we don't have to have any of these conversations. Um, I think the ghost is interesting, but it's not required to run this dungeon. Because we've already got the kobolds hiding out. And we've got the grell. Which the grell, I'm going to try to run as well as I can. See, Growl, can you look at your character sheet? Damn you. I'll try to reload roll 20, because I really do want to look at this fucking Growl. Can I look at it in here? Let's see if I can pull it up the compendium. Yet. Cannot. <laughs> Alright, let's try and just reload roll 20 for a second. So yeah, do I want to use the ghost or not? Um, and how do I want to use it? But Breezy says you left the ghost out. Initially, when I was planning this dungeon, I was leaving the ghost out. I just felt like it was too much. The ghost didn't have an interesting story. Um, it, it just felt like it was kind of randomly put in there. Like, oh, by the way, the head cobalt is possessed by a ghost. Um, but the... It doesn't lead to anything more interesting. Like, if the ghost had some kind of extra storyline where it's like, hey... You know, now that I've got this stronger body, or you all can help me, you know, avenge my murdered family, or, you know, something, or make the ghost somebody. Like, the ghost is one of the adventures from Kelvin's Cairn. Um, but why they, and maybe they, I, I don't, but then you have to come up with this whole extra story about, okay, they possessed a kobold to, and led them to, to this mine for some reason. It just, it creates all this weird story beats that you have to kind of write around. In terms of creating a motivation and a reasoning. There's the Grell. Okay. The Grell is an intelligence of 12. So it's um, more... It's smarter than the average person. Um, it's also very good at stealth. Stealth plus 6. It can make 2 attacks, including a tentacle attack. It's only got a plus 4. But that tentacle attack uh, can paralyze you if you fail a DC 11 con saving throw. Uh, poisons you and paralyzes you. And you are grappled and restrained. Good lord, just check all kinds of bad boxes if that thing hits. You are poisoned, paralyzed, grappled, and restrained. While grappling the target, the Grell has advantage on attack rolls against it. Although you can't use the attack against other targets. But when the Grell moves, any medium or smaller target is grappling moves with it. And it's got a 30-foot flying speed. So... In theory, it could grab somebody with tentacles and then drag them over the shaft of the Underdark and then fight them there in midair. And that creates just a horrifying situation for the players to deal with. Could be something I could do. Um, right now he's on the GM layer and it's designed where the Grell is not meant to fight the entire party, but only if the party separates uh, or if a lone person somehow wanders into this layer. I'm really going to have to play it by ear in terms of where the players are, um, what social encounters we've had. Ideally, I would like them to have spoken to the kobold leader or maybe been told where the kobold leader is by these kobolds. In fact, I'll probably have these one of these kobolds like injured from um, and maybe be able to tell them something about what's going on. And so the kobolds kind of you know end up being a... A potential social encounter for the players as they say, like, hey, save us from this fucking grill that's murdering us. Which, I need to roll hit points for it. Uh, this is not technically a boss, so I'm not sure if I should use my boss house rules of having it be above hit points. But it is kind of the boss of this dungeon. 
let's roll and see what we get. ND8 plus 10, which is pretty solid. It's only one enemy, and you know how I feel about having solo enemies. But this is supposed to be the one thing hunting everybody. It's supposed to be intelligent and not try to fight the whole party. Um, and it's got over 50 hit points, which should make it stay, stay around even to a full round of heroes attacking it. But we'll see. Well, there you go. It's got average 55 hit points. <laughs> it's an average grail. But obviously everything hinges, everything hinges on if it hits with its tentacle attack. Which, if it's stealthy and gets off the surprise round, which it should, then I would give it advantage on its first um, attacks during that round. Is, is it advantage on all your attacks or just the one attack? I'd have to look that up if whatever stealth does. But it would presumably be able to stealth. I would probably have it roll stealth if it was actively hunting them. And if it's not actively hunting them, the players would have to roll... Probably a DC 16, because that would be its average stealth uh, perception check to be able to notice pieces of it. And if they notice it, then I would probably just maybe straight up roll for initiative at that point. If they take, well, I'll, I'll say if they take any hostile actions, they could back away and not, you know, make any motion that they noticed it. But I wouldn't, I would not allow, allow them to get a surprise round on it. It's got freaking blind sight of 60 feet, passive perception of 14. It's unless they are really being expert stealthy. Uh, I don't think they're going to surprise this thing. This thing is going to surprise them. And you could even have them fight it somewhere else. The scary thing is, like, what if it fought them, like, here in the middle of the shaft, too, at level 3? Like, it could, it can fly around this shaft. Um, so it, there's no stopping it from really going from, like, level to level or flying around and really upsetting the players in terms of how they even fight this thing at once. I don't want to TPK them with this thing, but it would be fun to have this be a very scary, interesting fight. You can always save ghost for another location like Ethrin. That's that's a long way to save the ghost for. If you're not excited about dump it. Campaign's already big enough as they are. Ghosts are fun. I also like to use them to information to the players. Yeah. I'm not opposed to the ghost. I just feel like wizards dropped the ball with making this a more interesting uh ghost character. Um, you know, you could have tied it to you know, it, it could be, especially given the fact that they just, God, all the pieces are already there. Like, there, there's that previous adventuring party at Kelvin's Cairn, which I've I've updated the players with on the mountain climb uh, mission. And uh, it could have been the ghost of one of those adventurers because they, they found the, you know, the ghost at Kelvin's Cairn. And it could be, you know, one of those ghosts that has possessed the kobolds. And, but what's the motivation now? Maybe to would be to go rescue his friends or have a vent, you know, vengeance on the yetis, but then the but then the kobolds went down to the down to this mine, so that quite doesn't work. So yeah, I'm just I'm I'm having problems working out the ghost storyline in my story to make it interesting rather than just this random ass, oh, by the way, the leader of the kobolds happens to be possessed by a ghost and that's why he, you know, talks very eloquently, but you don't need that. I mean, you could say that this winged kobold is already more intelligent than other kobolds. Um, and it would initially be a case of the kobolds start off hostile because they just feel like anybody coming in here would want to attack them. So, but I, I don't necessarily want to, you know, throw that at the players either. Especially because I think once they're here, I'd have to test this. I think they can actually see... Um, let's put somebody who's got dark vision. Duplicate you. So if you were to fall here. Okay, so you can't see the kobolds yet. Boy, it, that dark vision really looks dark, doesn't it? Uh, you can kind of see a token right here. So, and I would probably flavor the fact that Maybe give me a perception check and you can see... That's a pretty effective dark vision though, isn't it? Then if you go here... You know, so you can't see the Grell because it's... GM layer. And once you go down here, maybe you can start seeing them. Okay, so you have to at least turn the corner. 
which is um, I might have these two like tucked in here, and maybe they're um, well, what does it say they are? Where's it? Where's the beautiful mine. M nine hungry kobolds. Two kobolds named Grek and Smull. Which yes, I did replace their portraits. By the way, the portrait in Rhyme of the Frostmaiden is them of the in the trench coat, which is a funny uh, picture, but doesn't really work as a token because it just looks weird that they're like poking out of this big coat. So I used the uh, the image of the actual token inventor as my kobold token. Uh, named Grek and Small rush to attack when the characters enter the cave. Either one is injured, they immediately have a change of heart and flee through the tunnel to the north that leads to level 3. Um, hmm. Oh, interesting. A table and chairs set up in this area to create a space for the miners to take breaks. On the top of the table, two kobolds are poking a giant rat with the javelins to make sure it's dead. I should put some tables in here. Let's see. Map layer. Off the map layer, because it makes me nervous. Go. Tables in here. I do like these colored maps, but they don't have a lot of the details that the descriptions actually have. Put them on the map layer. Um, I mean, they could be poking a dead giant rat. Uh, would they run? I mean, the thing is, the kobolds would be pretty frightened of the grell attacks. You could you could just have one cobalt here and have it be injured and bloodied, maybe blood like I could really ratchet up the horror again, have like a blood trail um, that runs across this way to note that maybe one of them had just survived a grell attack. And then I'll have another one maybe coming up here to check on this one and create this whole like there's a whole sequence of events happening. Because then this connects to here, which is where these guys have now... They're basically in their deepest corner, which is the safe area. And they're trying to figure out how to fight this creature or figure out what it is. But yeah, we can have this guy be injured. Maybe create some blood and really kind of ratchet up the... Basically the exploration part of this dungeon. Which dungeons are, by design, already pretty good at, you know... Having the whole exploration part of it. What you're doing, exploring. Drawing. Some blurred. Blurred. Like Bob Ross here. Put a little blood right here in this path. There's our happy little blood. Here. Kind of see the blood. See the blood. Coming from the grill. Or coming from the cobalt, actually. Some more blood trails and get some more horror vibes in this here dungeon. Go and then a, maybe a pool of blood. Can I get a pool of blood, please? Oh me, pools of blood. Maybe just like laying out on the table. That could work. Let's put the let's put the heavier blood here. Really work that blood into the map. <laughs> All right. 
on the map layer. So now I've changed the situation where uh, a kobold has survived an attack with the Grail and has not yet died. This Grail is maybe not great at finishing its meals. Uh, you know, maybe it, um, maybe the Grail missed with its, with its, you know, tentacles and the, got its beak attack out, you know, some, whatever reason, it was able to survive and kind of run. Where'd you get the blood token? Uh, I just went to the art gallery and searched for blood in Roll20 and just grabbed all their free random blood, uh, art assets. I've, uh, blood is probably the more common one I've used. So yeah, you can just go to the art gallery and search for that, and if it's something pretty generic, you can generally find it um, via the kind of built-in Google search of images. And then this kobold will be very hurt, but not dead, and they'll be able to maybe get some information out of it. It'll be kind of a cool social scene where the kobold will be terrified, ring up his knife and things, and the players can kind of sue them down. And at the same time, maybe another kobold appears, sees the players... And then runs off to tell the leader. And now they've got another choice. Like, oh shit, do we run after that kobold? Like, what's going on here? And create this whole situation. If they want to explore up here, I would obviously let them. But I probably would not unleash the Grell. Because I would rather they end up getting the full, uh, you know, be able to talk to the kobolds before encountering the Grell. Would be the idea. Roll stealth and any player's past possession less than they are surprised as a condition. Yes. Yeah, I, once it starts actively hunting them, which again, I wouldn't... Because let's just say it just fought this, you know, cobalt. It's pretty satiated for the moment. Um, or we could say that uh, the cobalt was with a buddy. Maybe Small is dead, and this is Grek. Uh, and it just ate one of them. And he, he survived and had to run. Um, and that was like their closest encounters they've had yet. So this is a pretty recent development where this gorillas showed up and started hunting them down. And obviously these kobolds aren't going to survive. So that could help their social encounter quite a bit. If they And again, that's if they go down that bucket lift. If they fall, they end up here and go across, and that could lead to another interesting social encounter. And I'm tempted to just leave the ghost out because I think it would just add too much. Um, but more than likely, they were not going to fight the kobolds. I see them... You know, turning this into a social thing where they kind of get a mini quest inside of this dungeon, which is, you know, please get rid of this fucking monster force. We don't know what it is, but it's out there hunting us. Um, and, you know, they can point up here and say, like, this is where it is. And maybe, you know, the players can uh, can hunt around in there and don't find it. Because, again, the girl could be fucking anywhere. It can just fly. Uh, maybe even they hear screams in the distance. And find another, like, dead kobold. I could really play up the horror, like, hunting fact of this thing. It could be a lot of fun uh, until I finally unleash it on them. It'll just really depend on where the players are going and how they determine on, you know, how they, if they want to split. God, please let them split up. That would be amazing. <laughs> That's what a horror movie would do. Um, but hopefully they can complete that quest, defeat the Grell with some danger to themselves. And then it becomes a social dilemma with, okay, kobolds, you can't fucking stay here. Um... And and first of all, this mine isn't safe anyway. Like they, that's something the town has to deal with. Like they they need help sealing this mine up from the underdark because that's just dangerous. Um, normally things can't fly up that far, but gorels can fly. Uh, but the kobolds obviously have to deal in some way with these kobolds and decide you know how are they gonna stick around or not. I haven't decided if I'm gonna reward them with another magic item for completing this quest because Celeste should end up with the psi crystal, which is kind of their magic item. I wanna flavor it to where they always get one cool like attunable magic item uh, or equivalent to attunable in each kind of major quest they do which is why I added that lantern to foaming mugs um, I haven't quite determined if I want to add another one on top of you know because this one they kind of get in the middle of the dungeon in theory otherwise I may throw some kind of reward in there for once the players defeat the grell and uh, and help the kobolds specifically uh, or defeat the kobolds that's technically an option too they could just slaughter them I don't think they will, but that's certainly an option. And then that should complete Beautiful Mine. Depending on how things go, I could see us completing this tomorrow. Um, I mean, there's the giant rat fight, which shouldn't go very long. And then the only other fight should be the Grell encounter. Everything else should be kind of social and exploration. So depending on how things play out, I could see them completing this whole sequence uh, next time. And I think 
once they've complete this dungeon, I believe that would be a good time to go to level 4. That will have been 4 sessions at level 2. Level 2 is just, you know, not very... not as It's better than level 1, obviously, but you don't really come into your own for most character classes until level 3. And then level 3, I'm comfortable leaving at that level to do a few more of the quests, like a mountain climb and the unseen at Kerr Konig, um, maybe meeting the Black Swords folks at Kerr Denevel, uh, you know, doing a few more of the, maybe even Karkalok. Somewhere, at some point, they will likely make it to, you know, I'll, I'll try to work at the level progression where by the time they get to Sunblight, they're probably level 5. Uh, but otherwise, we can scoot it to where, you know, 2 goes by pretty quick, and 3 and 4 should last a little bit longer. And I think that's generally how it works anyway. You go a little bit longer for each one. All right. Uh, we have made it well past an hour for crafting Icewind Dale. So I believe that is going to bring an end to this week's crafting session. Uh, if you enjoy the videos, please consider supporting me via patreon.com slash Rogue Watson. Shoutouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Tiny Dancer, Manuel, Wizard, Princess, Christopher, Star, Liberty, Thomas, Ian, Captain Mike, Adam, Goblinworks, Aiden, and Instant Lose. Gold Patrons, RPG, Paper Crafts, Charming Grenade, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Mark Gilstead, Vicente, Gilberto, Deadless, Lion, Sam, Ross, Slippy Spuds, Drone, Fatboy619, Sclenny Nick, Barney McButterpants, Blood Angel, Veronis, The Fireworks Factory, Baboon Baboon, Sean, AK, Cert, to be Nathan, and Fast Like a Tortoise. I will see you all for D&D tomorrow night.